Hello, everybody. Megan Zodex here. Back at it again to give you another very exciting podcast episode. Marking my Zarkast episode 40. Man, a nice, good, even number right there. 40. Not too much longer than I might possibly hit 50, though. Crazy how many of these things I've managed to do so far, though. But there's quite a bit of stuff to talk about tonight. Not too much in the vein of pop culture, but I did want to kind of get my halfway review, if you want to kind of call that, of She-Hulk. I actually got some things to say about it, though, so I actually managed to make a topic out of that, though. In terms of the gaming stuff, we got to talk about that PS5 price increase. Uh, We know that PSVR 2 should be coming out early in 2023. And then we got some uh, extra footage and stuff for Splatoon 3 in terms of the story mode, as well as just coming right off the heels off of the PAX West enter the Splatlands Invitational Tournament, where we actually got a first look at the new rank modes for the first time in action with some high-level competitive play. And I just finished that not too long ago before this, um, before I started going live on air for this podcast, though. So I have a lot of stuff to say about Splatoon in general, outside the Splatfest, and etc. And then a couple other topics I managed to throw up in here, though. So it should be a good old time um within this podcast episode though but as all things um if you really like this podcast episode make sure you go ahead and hit the like go ahead and hit that subscribe button or if you happen to be listening to this on the audio um side of things whether it be one of my podcast servers make sure to go ahead and follow um follow my uh channel so that way you don't miss any um any future episodes and whatnot though so uh without any further ado let's go ahead and jump straight up into that pop culture segment All right, so starting right off, we do have She-Hulk that I really want to go through and talk about because originally, I already kind of gave my thoughts on the first episode. I thought it was okay. There wasn't anything kind of crazy about it, nothing incredibly good. It just kind of explained the origin of how she got her powers from um, from Bruce through that crazy car accident, his blood spilling into hers, and thus, you know exposed all that gamma radiation making her she-hulk figured out that i guess along the way that her term in terms of her superhero name came from some random old dude off of like the news or whatever though okay whatever first episode i was okay with but when i saw the first second and third episodes and they were roughly in the range of 30 ish something episode 30 ish something minutes long and it wasn't and that didn't even factor in all of the credits and stuff that you normally get at the end of the episodes, which is probably about seven-ish minutes or so. Um, just instantly knew, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I feel like something is going to be missing up in this um, series. Like, I feel like it's going to be missing the own for a kick. First episode, I was okay with. We got down to episode two, and they started... Um, kind of given the premise of the whole She-Hulk attorney at law segment, which in the comments, she's technically an attorney as well or whatnot, though. But I think the one thing that I kind of noticed from some of the comic stuff that I've been kind of digging around and kicking up about is she's more like a, not so to say a, like a flat-out comic relief character, though. I mean, in some ways, yes, but not like the extreme way, like Guardians of the Galaxy, though. But then she does have like a heart and she does like the care and stuff. And when, you know, when things get dire, she'll rise up to the challenge, though. But I'm not kind of getting that same kind of vibe from her 
at least within these first few episodes. And then we got our way down to the third episode. And I was thinking, okay, maybe the antagonist will be Abomination. It was kind of funny seeing how um, they finally kind of made the parallel between this movie right here and making the parallel to Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Because now we kind of got a rough time period of exactly, you know, where we're kind of at within the timeline and whatnot, though. And I thought Abomination could be the main antagonist, but he kind of seems, uh, you know, apathetic and stuff towards, you know, all the different things that he's kind of did towards the whole years ago. Like, he kind of put all that mess behind him. So I was like, well, where's the true antagonistic threat? Like, what is going to be the thing that challenges She-Hulk? Makes her kind of think about, you know, whether or not she wants to size up to be a superhero. Because she was kind of regret regretting to be a She-Hulk um at first she just wanted to be an attorney didn't want to have anything associated with the powers and stuff avengers the stuff that um bruce banner has to always deal with she didn't want any of that so i was thinking there's gonna be somebody that was gonna challenge her but in the first three episodes we normally would have got something kind of like an antagonistic plot i mean you go back and look at hawkeye and stuff like we, we kind of knew where it was going from like episode two you can already kind of tell um and, you know it was foreshadow like who the antagonistic group would be you can go back and look at um um miss marvel and what we just came off of with that um you already knew what the group that she was trying to associate it with you know that that was going to be sort, your sort of kind of antagonistic plot or whatever though and i can keep pulling examples out examples out examples dating back all the way back to uh wandavision you can always tell something was bigger in play but whenever i saw these first three episodes i'm just not getting that vibe unfortunately now so i'm like i don't i, I don't get where she hulk is going hopefully they can do a roundabout 180 but if they don't this might be technically my lowest you know interest or lowest on the totem pole if you want to call it that in terms of all of the disney plus marvel um shows that we have gotten so far i mean I'm still going to watch the rest of the series, see how it plays out. I'm that much of a Marvel fan, though. But I'm just hoping that She-Hulk kind of takes a, you know, a different corner. Because coming off of Moon Knight and then with Miss um, Marvel, like, those two shows were actually, like, really good. Very unique um, in terms of the culture and stuff like that. Like, two different drastically things that we don't normally see within the superhero society with both their cultures, both their backgrounds, and what they have to do personally and what they have to go against and stuff like that but i don't know here's hoping that she hulk gets a little better because right now i'm pretty mixed on the low side of this i don't want to give out like a random number but i mean if i were i mean i'm kind of leaning towards the six or five ish out of ten i mean honestly that's personally where i feel right now though but yeah so that's Honestly, some of the midway thoughts I'm going to give about She-Hulk, and then obviously I'll probably give some more thoughts once we finally get the, the final episode, whenever we do get that in whatever Zarkest episode that happens to be at, though. But that's basically all I wanted to talk about within my pop culture segment, though. So now let's go ahead and, uh, you know, pick things up a little bit. Let's go ahead and jump up into that gaming news. All right, so now we finally have confirmation that the Game Awards will be happening on December 8th. Yes, mark your calendars and stuff like that. 
because it's going to be a good night. <laughs> whether it's being incredibly good or whether it be being kind of mixed-ish or whatnot, though. I mean, you always know um, with Jeff Keighley that it's going to be a show, whether it be for good <laughs> or whether it be for worse, though, because um, at least now we know where the date is at, and hopefully... We're going to get some good stuff at the Game Awards. Honestly, looking at the potential, you know, Game of the Year contenders, if you're going off a of Metacritic and you were to only include new releases, not remakes or anything like that, you know, you know, the one that's most likely going to win, you know, Elden Ring is going to be there. Technically, you're going to have Horizon. You're going to have God of War. And surprisingly, I think we're a strong shoe in the half xenoblade chronicles 3 because technically xenoblade chronicles 3 is one point higher on the metacritic than horizon um forbidden west so i'm like if, if that game gets snubbed and doesn't even get a nominee um or a nomination to be in the contender for game of the year I, i'm gonna be like what the actual heck though but regardless we're probably gonna have some you know good announcements in terms of some new video games um coming out as well uh shoot we might actually get a look at the new um super mario brothers movie if we don't for some reason get it within like another direct presentation like at the next like fall nintendo direct that might possibly happen here in september then I'm thinking we're probably going to wind up getting news of that or at least our first look at the Game Awards, kind of like how uh, we got a look at the Sonic movie or the, the second Sonic movie at the Game Awards. I think it's going to be the same. Um, it's going to happen in the same manner or whatnot, though. But yeah, that's basically all I want to talk about. Game Awards is coming out December 8th. Go ahead and mark the calendars because I think if all goes well, I'll probably will stream that event because I think I did the same thing last year, though. So I am looking forward to it nonetheless, though. Now. We did get some confirmation that the PlayStation VR 2 will be coming out early 2023. Now, that right there, I don't think it's no shock or no surprise, because originally I think they were kind of targeting a holiday release with this, but I think, you know, deal with due to chip shortage and whatnot, though, logistics and shipping things out and whatnot, though, they just probably didn't have everything ready, so they decided to push it out to the beginning of next year, though. Now, here's the interesting thing, though, is the, the cost of it. They they showed us a few different games. Like, they showed us, like, a Horizon game that's going to be VR, and then we know that there's going to be some stuff with some Resident Evil up in there as well. We do know that there's going to be some things like that that's going to be um, that we already know about the games-wise, but kind of curious about the cost of the of the vr kit because if you look back at the playstation 5 cost right now which we'll talk about that here in a bit <laughs> it originally retailed for like 500 dollars msrp then you turn around and we're gonna um have this vr thing and i'm thinking if i were to make a guess right now shoot i would not be surprised if the cost of this vr2 is going to be about 500 somewhere in the net range between 500 and 600 ish I mean, that's just why I'm going to say it right now, though, because I think this gonna be, thing is going to be kind of expensive. You tack on that with the combination of the actual PS5 hardware itself, you're almost looking at about almost $1,000. Yes, granted, it is cheaper to some other alternatives, like maybe like the Oculus or whatever, or not the Oculus. Like, there's some other high-end um, um, VR kits where you have to tie them into your PC or whatever that get, like, really expensive, be more so than this, but still... I mean, you have to invest thousands of dollars in order just to get into the VR market. Oh, man, that's going to be crazy in itself, though. 
But yeah, they did confirm that. Not too much more beyond that, though. But while I'm on this topic, though, also want to mention that um, during Gamescom, which happened within the past couple of weeks or so, they also announced that there is a new type of DualSense Edge controller where you're actually able to customize it. You're able to swap out the, the different buttons on there, the different triggers, etc. Um, you even have like the back buttons that are on there. Um, you know, they have all of that extra stuff up on there though. Cause I know my good pal Sonic or whatever though. Um, I think it's D pad or something like that is acting up. So like if for some reason, one of your buttons on your controller is acting up, you can go in there, swap it out, take care of whatever you need to do or whatnot though, or customize it to the best of the ability or whatnot though. I think you can even adjust how much the triggers go down to a certain extent. Like, do you want them to be like really quick? like tactile or whatever though or just kind of have or absorb more of that um that trigger pull whatnot though you can do little things um to go ahead and tweak and make it to the best of your um your play style especially if you like playing like first person shooters or whatnot though like the trigger buttons you want those things really fast really snappy clicky um etc though while you're playing those kind of games though so yeah so we do have those controllers coming in. I don't think we had anything confirmed on price or release date, but they just let us know that this is a thing and it's going to be coming out here fairly soon, though. But yeah, so that's going to be basically it in terms of the PlayStation VR 2's related stuff, as well as this new um, DualSense controller, though. Now, while we're on the topic of PlayStation, all right, here comes the hot topic because uh, the PS5 is actually going to get a price increase. Now, for all of us here in the United States, it's going to stay at 500. So y'all don't have to worry, but don't be too passive about it. The fact that it's not going up to um, going up in price for at least us here in America, because nearly everywhere else in the world is going up. And you don't think that that's going to somehow inadvertently affect us. Man, you're going to be wrong because, uh, shoot, the price has gone up. What could be a little bit equivalent, which you have different currencies um, going around um, across the world. So not everything's like a one-to-one -one compared to like our U.S. dollar, though. But on a rough average, like if we were to compare it to our terms, the PS5 went up in price roughly equivalent to what would be like $500 for us to about $550. For some territories, it's slightly a little less. Some territories, it's actually a little bit more than that, though. And honestly, it is kind of weird because I do remember in one of Sony's um, previous press conferences, it might have been a few months or something like that, though. But I think it was one of their investors actually mentioned like one of their shareholders meaning like, hey, do you have any plans on increasing the, the PlayStation price or whatever, though? And they, I think at that time, they said something along the lines of either no comment or something along the lines of, uh, we don't have any plans to increase it at this moment. They said something on the lines of that. And then turn around a few months later, then boom, they dropped this up in the blog and it says effectively, effective immediately, here are the, the price increases though. And honestly, that's been rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. This is already a super expensive um, console and it's not like a... Um, you know, it's not like a necessity item such as like your food, your water, your house rent, whatever though. It's, it's a luxury item. It's something that you don't really necessarily have to have, though. But it's nice if you manage to have the money or if you, you know, you got the support to get it, then it's as good as in terms of an entertainment medium or whatever, though. And it makes you think that at least with a console like this, you would think 
if it's going to cost you more to do it, then why didn't you eat up the cost yourself? You can kind of think back to certain examples with, um, think back to examples like with Nintendo during like the, the dark Wii U era or whatnot, though. Like Awada, he took like a paycheck just to make sure all of his employees and stuff, as well as, you know, any anything else they have to do kind of went into business things, basically where the business can stay afloat. And, you know, Nintendo, when most of the, the bottom line workers, your bottom line, wouldn't have to really feel the effect of this much, though. Water took that hit. If he could take that hit personally, you would think a big company like Sony, which honestly, we're talking about Sony as the gaming um, division, though. I mean, Sony as a whole, as an entertainment, what in terms of like making the movies or whatever, TV, electronics, all this other extra stuff, cameras, whatever. You think in some way, shape, or form, they could actually eat up the cost. I know they technically can, but it's just kind of, huh, trying to push that on to consumers. And it kind of makes you think, is Sony getting a little bit greedy? Because I think in some other um, in some other interviews and stuff like that, or not interviews, like reports and whatnot, though, they were saying they have some like record-breaking profits. And it's like, well, how in the world you go from like saying you're, you're doing pretty good, you're selling as many PS5s as you can when you can sell them, because we all know about the chip shortage and stuff, and it's kind of hard to keep these things on shelves. Still can't do this almost nearly about uh, two years. We're, we're getting close to two years later, and you still can't normally go up into like a Best Buy or whatever and just grab it off the shelf. Kind of crazy, though. And the fact that um, you're still claiming to do really well but yet you still got to drive this price up due to um you know due to the challenging economy and stuff like that i mean yeah inflate not really bad inflation though but like recession kind of stuff is kind of boiling up or whatever though like rent's kind of through the roof right now though i mean yes things are changing though but i still feel like you got enough in your back pocket where you can basically eat up these costs so that way you're not kind of pushing it over onto your consumers, especially considering the fact that you just came off and said, hey, we're doing some record-breaking, um, record-breaking, um, record-breaking profits right now. Now, it does affect all regions, such as like Canada, over there in Japan, the European regions, etc. And you do have to keep in mind, Europe is already paying, we paid 70 bucks, 10 bucks of an increase for PS5 games over here in America, you turn around and look over there in Europe and they're paying the equivalent of what is 70 for us is like almost $80 in our equivalent for them over there. So they're already having more expensive games over there. And then you turn around and increasing the price. I don't know. It makes you kind of think and wonder. It's like, well, the, you know, the Xbox, you know, shoot, that, that could be their time to shine. Be like, hey, you can basically come over here and get this console. You're still going to get almost the same amount of third-party support but hey maybe you might want to try out our halo or hey now that I acquire activision blizzard hey you can try out call of duty hey you know what no matter what happens as long as you got an xbox you're always going to get that call of duty you don't need to have a playstation anymore to do that um etc though even though we know we're still going to be getting some call of duty games at least for the foreseeable future on the playstation who's to say that microsoft eventually in the future could say hey that's an xbox only exclusive and whatnot though so yeah, so honestly, um, this is baffling, the fact that you would think as we get further along in the generation that we're in right now for our new console, you would think to have prices go down instead of basically flipping on its head and saying, hey, we're going to drive the console price up. I don't know, that for a lot of people has drove 
people into like a tizzy. We saw the the backlash and stuff on this on the internet and stuff. And you have been looking at Twitter or anything like that, though. Honestly, things did not go really well. Kind of making them sit pretty in a pretty bad spot. Honestly, now if they're a PlayStation, you know, PlayStation sitting over there now, it's like, man, we better hope God of War is really good and kind of distract and kind of make people say, you know what? Even though we increased the price, we still got to get that PS5. That's what they're banking on, though. But I mean. Me personally, already got it. It's not going to directly infect me, even if they turn around and increase the price of the the PS5 here in America. So I feel like the reason why they didn't was because they still want to be, you know, competing against Microsoft. I mean, yes, they technically compete against Nintendo as well, though. But Nintendo already capitalizing the market over there in Japan. Nintendo kind of caters to a different audience, like PlayStation. Most of this audience members could very well hop over to the Xbox side. So I think that was more strategic things because, you know, America is one of the biggest markets um, for them in terms of revenue and stuff like that. So they still want to kind of remain competitive in the highest market against Microsoft. And hence why I don't think for us here in America, we didn't get the, the price increase by everywhere else in the world. They did, though. So we just have to kind of keep all of that mess in mind, though. But that's basically all I have to say in terms of the, the PS5 increase cost. Y'all got to let me know down in the comments or just let me know at me on Twitter at Megazard underscore S. Let me know your personal thoughts about um, the PS5 price. If you happen to be a global listener, um, does this affect you? Maybe maybe you actually kind of sit out on this and be like, you know what? That's way too expensive. Either it's going to cost you longer to save up to the point that maybe there might be like a PlayStation 5 Slim that kind of releases out in the future. Maybe that might make you kind of think, you know what, instead of getting the physical version, physical version, maybe I'll get the, the digital edition as well, save a little bit of money like that. Or maybe that just makes you say, you know what, I'm not getting a PlayStation. I'm just going to pick up an Xbox. Just, just let me know what you're kind of thinking right now, though. But yeah, that's basically it in terms of most of the PlayStation news right there. Now, switching things over, Sonic Frontiers has a brand new release date. And to no shock and no surprise, it is still coming out this year. They did not delay it like what they said there were, and it is going to be releasing out on November 8th. Now, technically, with the latest trailer that they actually showed, I think at Gamescom, um, it looks surprisingly better than where it is. I'll give them a little bit of credit. It looks better than what it originally did when they first showcased that thing off with the IGN first. And um, just looking at it more, I don't know. I don't know. I think it has potential to be probably better than Sonic Forces, but I don't know exactly to what extent. Because the open zone thing is going to, I feel like it's going to be cool. It's going to be amazing when you first jump up in there. But I'm wondering if they don't keep adding new elements to that gameplay in terms of that open zone, like what they're calling it, there's a good chance that it could rub you off the wrong way and be like, all right, this is kind of getting old, getting a little repetitive with the combat or whatever, though. But I don't know. We'll see, though. But we know that game comes out November 8th. And shoot, that's very close to the release of God of War um, Ragnarok as well. I'm trying to remember. When is that release? Because I know it's like literally like right. In, yeah, so that comes out. Oh, shoot. That comes out November 9th for God of War. This one literally comes out one day before November 8th. Like, oh, shoot. Trying to come out one day before it. I'm like, what the heck? I mean, I don't know. I feel like maybe this game doesn't cater to the same exact audiences and whatnot, though. Sonic will be coming out on that Tuesday. 
uh, God of War will be coming out on that Wednesday, which Wednesday is an odd release date, though. But I think it's something with the, you know, with the theme of God of War. This kind of it just kind of ties into when that release will be on that Wednesday and whatnot, though. But I don't know. I feel like they might not carry to the same exact audiences, though. So I don't think they're too worried about it that much. Because Sonic fans are going to, of course, get Sonic. God of War people are going to get, you know, the new God of War or whatnot, though. But I don't know. Let me know in the comment section down below um, if this trailer right here, or the most recent one we got, has it convinced you a little bit to say, you know what, this game might actually turn out well, or you're still kind of optimistic and like, you know what, this is Sonic. The Sonic team working on this mess. They hadn't had like a good 3D game since who knows when. And, um, in some way, they're going to goof this mess up. I don't know, but that's just at least what I'm personally thinking right down, though. Now, here's an interesting topic right here, because Sakurai, we all know um, Masahiro Sakurai, you know, the, the dude that created Smash Brothers, Smash Brothers Ultimate, you know, all the Smash games. He actually went out and normally, at least on his Twitter account, he normally goes through and creates a bunch of different pictures or whatever, just showcasing all different characters, different backgrounds, stuff like that. He used to do that on the daily. Eventually, he ran out of topics, or not topics, he ran out of actual um, pictures and whatnot to post on his Twitter account. So then he was like, hey, stay tuned to um, some new exciting news. And a lot of people were wondering, I was like, well, what is this? Is he going to make a new game or something like that? <laughs> not making a game, but he's actually creating a YouTube channel to actually talk about how he makes games or just game development in general though and there's like two different channels he has like one for like japanese viewers and then one for like english viewers like you know i mean obviously he's still speaking japanese but you know you got subtitles down there at the very bottom now this right here is actually very interesting because why yes People kind of talk about game development. If you happen to know certain people that might be on certain podcasts and whatnot, though, you never have like big wigs like Sakurai or any of the other ones that make like well-known franchises actually sit down with you personally in like a video format or even like audio format or whatnot, podcast or whatever, though, and actually talk about how the game development process works. Now, this in itself actually seemed really cool. I think I only sat down and watched like the first episode or though. I had to sit down and watch all the other ones that he keep that he uh, dropped out since then, though. But it's actually interesting the fact that he's actually taking the time out to show this to you. While, yes, it's not going to be like very strong and very applicable to like a lot of different people, because this is going to be mainly catered towards people that might have an interest in developing games or in that sort of kind of medium. But... For those that are, this is going to be valuable. This could actually, for those that might just be like vaguely curious about it, it could actually get them to actually getting into um, developing games. Whether that be working for like a big wig company like your Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, or it could be like, you know, just doing your own little thing and such and being like an indie studio or whatnot, though. That in itself is actually really cool and really creative, which hopefully... Through Sakurai's pod, or not, I was about to say podcast, through Sakurai's um, YouTube channel, it might open up other developers to actually kind of share and discuss different things that they normally go through with their development cycles. Why, well, yes, they're not going to tell you exactly every little thing, but the fact that they're giving us a little something to go off of it can be actually very insightful as well. So I'm actually looking forward to this though. And it's actually kind of interesting because I guess Kojima as well is doing a podcast 
which I guess he might be talking about some of his games. So he's starting to get in a little bit of, you know, game developers and whatnot, though, actually kind of go out and talk about certain things about it. So hopefully, you know, this there might be like a little small little pebble falling down a, a snowy hill or whatever, though. But hopefully that turns into a bigger snowball and we can kind of get this ball going because I'm actually kind of really looking forward to, you know, whatever Sakurai happens to say in most of his uh, YouTube videos and whatnot, though. And they are really well edited from the ones I actually seen. Like, it's kind of easy to follow along. It's not, like, hard for you to kind of get lost with what he's saying right now and whatnot, though. So he has some pretty good editing, and he has, like, a pretty good way of explaining stuff without necessarily losing you, because I know he could probably go a whole lot more in depth on the different topics that he wanted to go through and discuss and whatnot, though, probably lose a whole lot of people unless you're just kind of in that technical jargon, uh, you know, in terms of the terms that he's using and whatnot, though. But yeah, so honestly, some really cool stuff. I'm really digging what Sakurai is actually putting down within um, his YouTube channel, though. So I do wish him the best of luck because I think there's going to be something out of there that most people are going to be able to pull um, from his um, from his channel, though. But yeah, that's basically all I wanted to say and report about on Sakurai's new YouTube channel. Now, let's go into something pretty interesting because we actually managed to get a new update in terms of all of the million sellers that we have currently gotten that this list was basically updated. What was it? It's a little outdated, a little bit, but we do have most of all of the million sellers for like a good chunk of Nintendo first party games that all of this information was recorded roughly by the end of 2021, basically December of 2021. This is when um, all of this stuff was documented right here though. And I kind of just want to do like a quick little rundown of most of the million sellers though, because this will kind of give us like a rough idea of where rough idea where everything basically stands at though now technically this is like 55 titles so i'm just going to kind of go ahead and because everybody knows about the top 10 so i'm going to start down with the stuff that most people probably don't know about so we'll start that yeah literally there's like a list of like 55 of these but i'll, I'll blow through them pretty quickly though so that way y'all kind of get all of this stuff and you know the numbers of you know there might be some games that you might have play like fire emblem warriors or whatever though you might want to know the number of that one though so we'll kick things off with exactly that game because fire emblem warriors sold exactly one million turn around and look at fire emblem warriors three hopes that was also at one million which for three hopes the fact that it already sold one million i'm like oh okay but that technically was an updated stat from quarter three of 2022 because i said most of these things came for 2021 um bayonetta 2 a little over 1 million game builder garage like 1.06 million um and i'm probably to say point um just to kind of keep things straight and keep things flowing and whatnot though um let's see here warrior get it together 1.2 astral chain is at 1.2 um, Nintendo Labo, I think that was like the version one. The variety kit was at 1.4. Marvel Ultimates Alliance 3 coming in at 1.5 million. Not too, not too shabby. Not too shabby. Uh, let me move this over here real quick though. Yeah, so I said Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 at 1.5. Looking up, Mario Kart Home Circuit also at like 1.5. 
Then you got Big Brain, uh, Big Brain Academy, roughly at 1.5. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition at 1.68. I was kind of curious to see exactly how many that one sold, though. It was kind of getting close to two. I don't know if it will quite hit two, but that's where we're at right now. Um, Metopia is at 1.6, roughly as well. Pokemon Tournament DX is at 1.8. Pokemon Mystery Dungeons at 1.89. Octopath Traveler is at 1.9. I think that by the time that Switch's life is over with, it's probably going to hit about 2 million or so. Uh, Mario Strikers Battle League. Now, this was a little more updated from quarter two of 2022, but that one has sold about 1.9, close to 2 mil. Um, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker is at 2.1. Pikmin 3 Deluxe is at 2.2. Mario Golf Super Rush, which honestly, I kind of saw that that was kind of a rough game right there at 2.35. You got new Pokemon Snap at 2.4. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is over here at 2.44 million, kind of close to 2.5 million. So that's actually doing pretty good. And that might actually kind of bow well to Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And I'm thinking that one should get pretty close to 3 million if I had to take a guess on that one, though. Arms is at 2.6. Metroid Dread at 2.9 stinking million. I really wish that that would have hit 3 million or this would have been an updated thing to tell me that it was 3 million though because if y'all happen to watch like the spawn cast and whatnot though, um, RGT, man, he had a bet saying that Metroid Dread wouldn't sell more than 3 million um, within the year though. And I was like, golly, I, dang it. I really wish that that was the case though. Um, Yoshi's Crafted World is at a little over 3 million. Paper Mario the Origami King is at 3.3. 1 2 Switch is at 3.6. Fire Emblem Three Houses is at 3.8. Really close. Man, really stinking close to being close to 4 million. I think by the time the Switch's life is over, it'll probably be close to 4 million, though. So, pretty good for Fire Emblem right there. Just rising on up. Um, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword at 3.9, almost 4. Kirby Star Allies at 3.96, almost close to uh almost close to four or close to four million. No, 3.98, close to four. Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, right at an even four million right there. Let's see here. I'm getting kind of close um to the top 10, because now I think we're in like the top um within the top 25. Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze is at 4.1. Uh, you got Clubhouse Games, um, 4.2. Mario Tennis Aces at 4.2. Uh, Kirby and Forgotten Land. Now, I remind you, this one came out, um, this is according to quarter two, 2022, at 4.5 million. Shoot, that thing sold quite a bit in that short span of time. Also, Nintendo Switch Sports, same quarter within this year at 4.84 million. Then you got uh, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Now, this is when the number drums up quite a bit, though, because that one's roughly a little over 6 million, though. Then you have Mario Party Superstars. That's at 6.8. You have Super Mario Maker 2 at 7.89. And then you have Super Mario 3D All-Stars at a toasty 9, a little over 9 million on that one, though. I was kind of curious how many that one that managed to sold, though. Maybe, uh, well, shoot, now, now that the game's technically discontinued, that's probably... Roughly where we're gonna have to probably stick that stick a pin on that number though, because I doubt it could really technically sell more than that. Um Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury at 9.4. Luigi's Mansion 3, Sheesh at 11 on uh, 11.4. Um Pokemon Legends Arceus is at um 12.6. 
Splatoon 2 at three, 13.3 million. Um, maybe by the, I mean, cause we're, we're almost about to migrate over to Splatoon 3. So I'm imagining that number where we're at right now with the 13.3, I imagine it's going to roughly stay there. Won't kind of drastically jump that much higher than that. Uh, and then at 11 place, you have Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe at 13.3 million. Now that's basically it for all the, uh, all the places from like 11 down to spot number 55. And then you go into your traditional top 10 with Ring Fit, Pokemon Let's Go, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, Super Mario Party. Dang, how's Super Mario Party there and not uh, Mario Party Superstars? Uh, Super Mario Odyssey, Pokemon Sword and Shield, Legend Zelda Breath of the Wild, Smash Brothers Ultimate, Animal Crossing New Horizons, and at the very top, uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe at this time. It, um, as a quarter two of 2022, that's still the king of all kings at 46.8 million. So yeah, so honestly, some pretty good numbers across the board. Though I was kind of curious exactly where Fire Emblem and the Legend of Zelda was basically gonna um, stick up at and basically kind of be sized up at and whatnot. Though so honestly, so some really good numbers right there. Kind of genuinely impressed about it though. But y'all gotta let me know. Was there anything shocking or something exciting or you're kind of pumped that your certain series that you kind of support um, quite a bit, like Xenoblade Chronicles, like the fact that two, um, Xenoblade 2 is basically almost at 2.5 mil. Um, some pretty good success across the series, across the board, though. But yeah, so that's basically going to do it in terms of the million sellers right there. Now, next... We're getting into getting close to that Splatoon territory over here because I got a lot of stuff to say about Splatoon. Because recently we did get a treehouse, you know, shortly after um we got the uh the Splatfest and whatnot, though, because we already went hands-on on that. But we'll talk about that here in a bit, though. But for the treehouse, they were going a little more in-depth with the single-player mode with Splatoon 3, as well as a little bit of gameplay and stuff for Harvest Stella. I'll go ahead and start with the second-half stuff with Harvest Stella, and then backtrack over there to Splatoon 3, though, because Harvest Stella was a game that we, we know is going to be made by Square Enix. And it's interesting to the fact that you, you're going to be... It's like a fusion of, like, Stardew Valley with, like, a traditional... RPG, like you're, you're out there fighting things and whatnot, though. It's an interesting kind of mix between the two of them. And honestly, I didn't know exactly how it was going to feel. But looking through some of the gameplay on this one, though, I mean, it looks interesting. I don't know if I would probably pick it up at launch, so to say, though, but maybe a little down the road if I'm if I'm still liking like the footage and stuff like that, and I have to watch a couple of people actually go through and stream the game and whatnot though. If I liking what I'm really seeing, maybe I'll pick it up on the sale, maybe eventually in the future though. But it is going to be interesting for people that kind of like that kind of farming kind of simulate that farming simulation kind of ordeal though. But you kind of want to have some higher stakes with it being like an RPG and whatnot though. You have to do a little bit of time management and stuff like that going through powering through some dungeons and whatnot though making like the most um making best clearing out the best path to get from point a to point b because everything's kind of running on like a time clock and you kind of you have to micromanage your time and whatnot though so yeah so honestly i saw some good stuff in there i don't know if it's gonna be exactly for me though but it is interesting the fact that um they popped this treehouse out of nowhere because normally we'll get these treehouses they kind of get tied into um, with big Nintendo Directs, which the last Nintendo Direct 
was technically one that they did as the uh, the mini partner showcase thing in August. And we were thinking we we're probably we we're going to get that way back in June or whatever, though. But then in July, they turned around and gave us the, uh, well, not in July. I, or I guess it was it was at some point in July or whatever, though. The Xenoblade Chronicles 3 direct or whatever, though. But yeah, so honestly, some really good stuff right here, though. Now let's go ahead and switch over to the Splatoon 3 side of things. Because in the treehouse, though, while yes, we went hands-on on the Splatfest, they actually went a little more in-depth on it in terms of the stuff that we didn't get to see, which they showed a little inkling of a trace of it, though. But with the single player, now from the looks of what we've seen in this treehouse right now, the single player, for the most part, is going to be like a fusion of, imagine like the difficulty of what we had within the single player mode within Splatoon 2, and then combine it with the Octo expansion that we got in Splatoon 2. So I think it's like a happy medium between the two, because even during the gameplay of the people that were playing in Treehouse, they had a little bit of difficulty. And for the casual, you know, player or whatnot, though, they might have a little difficulty too or whatever, though. And I do like how it's almost kind of like mission-based-ish, and you don't have to actually necessarily do every single level in the game, kind of similar like to Octo Expansion. You just probably have to do a certain select amount in order to kind of get to a new boss, to get to a new area and whatnot, though. So I do kind of like the fact that they did take some inspiration from Splatoon 2, Octo's expansion, and then turned around and applied it into the Splatoon 3 story mode. Because we do know that this story mode right here is basically going to be like a, a wrap-up all-in-one conclusion of, you know, the story that they've been kind of telling within Splatoon 1 to 2 to what is now going to be 3, though. So, yeah, so it is going to be interesting like that. Everything else I saw from um, it with, the, like, the inclusion of, like, Small Fry and how you can kind of throw it out to distract some Octarians and then kind of sneak up behind the Octarians and splat them like that. I think you can do some very interesting things with Small Fry and whatnot, though, but... I think that's pretty much it in terms of story mode. You can't really talk about too, too much beyond the stuff that I just already mentioned because, I mean, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. It's really kind of primarily there only to exist to kind of teach you how to use certain new weapons, especially for that Tri-Stinger and what will be like Splatana being like the two new class of weapons that we're getting in Splatoon 3. Even more so critical to kind of getting a grasp on them because most of the other weapons before and then we had our experience with that was Splatoon 2 as well as Splatoon 1 though. But yeah, so that's pretty much it in terms of what I wanted to talk about within the treehouse though. And now let's get into the big meat and potatoes of what I really wanted to talk about. I was really looking forward to right here though because we did manage to go hands-on with the Splatoon 3 Splatfest. Now, me personally, I only got to manage to jump up in there during the second half of the Splatfest. I wasn't even able to actually participate in the first half of the Splatfest because I, I like literally, I was doing like some real world splatooning. Like I was actually painting like a whole deck and stuff like that, the front and the back deck and whatnot though. So I didn't think I was actually gonna be doing some real splatooning on that day though. But the first half was like a regular Splatfest, whatever though. You just go, it's your team versus another team. And you know, you're just kind of duking it out or whatever though. Uh, me, I was representing Team Scissors, even though, based on the results we got, Team Rock was definitely the by far the most superior pick. It was like Team Rock was like the highest popularity, then Team Scissors, lastly, Team Paper, though. But at least for me, I was always getting matched up 
with people that was in Team Raw if it happened to be a 1v1. Because since I joined in the second half, it was none other than Tricolor Turf Wars. At that point in the game, Team Scissors was up. We were representing. We were dominating the competition. There wasn't no if and nor buts about it. We were going in, ripping and shredding, cutting and dicing people up like the scissors we all are. Like, there wasn't no competition at that point, though. But then that tricolor splat war came, and I was like, oh, shoot, here we go. Now, literally, I did some of, the, um, some of those battles by myself with, obviously, other random teammates that they paired me up with. And then I also played some matches with my good friend Sonic. And he was also on Team Scissors, though. But me and him quickly came to the realization that in Tricolor Turf Wars, the odds are stacked against you when they place all of you in the center. While, yes, ideally, you, you being a team of four going against two people from, like, Team Paper and two people from Team Rock, ideally, everything should be in your favor. You have the most team people representing your team on you. The way how they have that thing set up in execution is kind of crazy because while you're in the center, you're playing two different um you're playing two different objectives. Number one, you're trying to protect the thing in the center so that way nobody on the other two teams are able to get it. And then two, you're trying to push in on the enemy territory on both sides. And while you might be going really hard pushing it on team paper side, you never know. Somebody from Team Rocket literally come up right behind you and bonk you on the head. Juggling all of that stuff at the same time was pretty difficult, if I do say so myself. I honestly felt like you always have to have somebody guarding the very center of the stage at any given time, because if you didn't, someone's going to sneak in there and get it. And if they, and one of the teams did happen to manage to grab it, it sets up like a mega sprinkler on one side or the other, and then maybe the other team on the opposite side gets it, and then maybe one more team from either or managed to get the final one, and that goes in the dead center. If all three of those mega sprinklers are set up from the other two teams, it's a done deal. It's a wrap. You might as well put the controller down. I don't think I won a single battle where either two, two is still kind of, one is manageable. Two makes it kind of difficult. I say you probably still lose eight times out of 10, but I think anytime when all three of them were activated, I don't think we ever won. So I think the strat going forward is if you're in the center, you just got to protect that thing until like the very last minute and then make your final pushes on one side or the other. Make Get a wipe on like the two people on one team and then get a wipe on the other two people and then try to push. Because the way how it's set up is since your territory is all in the middle, it's quickly, easily covered from both teams. Meanwhile, if you're a team of like on paper or rock, you have a huge area over there on one side of the map that probably most other people from the other two teams would never likely touch, which always gives you a turf advantage. And then on top of that, if you get the mega sprinklers added, it, it just make it's just like chaos incarnate during that mode. I imagine it was probably fun for people that might have been on team paper or team rock though, but for all of us on scissors. I was like, dang, we all kind of felt the same. I knew I felt the same. I knew Sonic felt the same. Sonic even talked to some of his friends, and he said, man, they were always crossing their fingers, hoping that it was just going to be a regular turf battle instead of the tricolor one, because, shoot, they, they all felt the same as what we did. So I don't know. I feel like in what they normally did in the past with Splatoon 2 with its Splatfest, it was like one year into the life cycle of it, and they drastically changed how the voting process and all that stuff kind of worked out and whatnot, though. 
and I'm thinking they might probably do the same thing, kind of restructure this once we get like a year into its life, but we probably won't see any changes, at least in the very beginning. So I do keep that in mind. If you happen to be one of those people that literally happens to be the team in the lead, be ready, because I think Tricolor Turf War is going to mess everybody up. And I feel like every time whoever gets the lead at the halfway point is probably going to be guaranteed to lose the whole thing overall, though. Now, the way how they scored it, because I just thought about it, since there's three teams and three different categories for votes, you could have a tie. Literally, a different team can win each one. But I think literally the point or the popularity vote is worth like 10 points. The... The regular open battles is worth 15 points, and then the pro battles are worth 10. So literally, the one that you always want to win, no matter what, always has to be that open battle one, because that's worth five points more. So even if you had a three-way tie between all three, whoever wins the open battles category is going to be the one to win it all. So that's going to be your most critical one. And then if you happen to also get the uh, the popularity vote or the pro vote on top of it, then you just clinch the W like that. But usually you're sitting pretty good as long as you get that. The only other people that could oppose you is if it happened to be somebody with the popular vote that also won the pro battles as well. So I don't know. So yeah, so that's basically how the Splatfest works and stuff like that. Honestly, the weapons and stuff was absolutely phenomenal. I did like the Splatana a little bit more than the Tri-Stinger, because um, I, I just kind of felt like the uh, Splatana is almost like a cousin to like the Brush family, like the Inkbrush or Octobrush and whatnot. So honestly, I really like that. I think my favorite special out of all of them was definitely the uh, the Crab Brawler, I think, the Crab one. I think that one's cool. I think the Vacuum Suck one up is pretty good, especially if you have to be a sniper. You can kind of post people like that, though. Um, the Tacticooler, I think, is going to be a really good one because from what I'm seeing so far, it just makes your whole team a lot more versatile in terms of their movement and whatnot. So I'm thinking, yeah, all the, all the new specials are all pretty cool, especially that Shark one. Though I feel like the Shark one, due to the fact of how directional it is, it's cool when you can pull it off, but I mean, there's not going to be a, like a lot of scenarios where you can perfectly pull it off because of the fact that um, it's like straight line go. You can't curve the thing or anything like that, though. But yeah, so I think that's pretty much it in terms of my overall thoughts on Splatoon 3, at least with the Splatfest, though. Now, let's go ahead and jump it over to another topic, which we did come right off the heels of the new um of the new basically they did like a splatlands on um, end of the splatlands invitational over there at pax west where we actually got to see a brand new look at rank mode for the very first time i'm going ahead and throwing up footage here on the screen if you have to be watching the youtube version of it though um where we actually managed to get some you know get some actual footage of rank modes because this is the first time we actually got to see it live though now, tower control, from what I've seen so far, has been mostly pretty much the same. There's nothing that's kind of drastically different with it. It's, you know, same rules and stuff like that as Splatoon 2 or whatnot, though. But the one thing I did notice with all these matches, though, is um, whether it be tower control or um, I think tower control in both splat zones, they both were pretty much the same in terms of like the rule set and stuff. Not too much has changed on that though. But most of these maps and rank mode 
they're kind of condensed and small, kind of the same avenues too, but maybe even a little bit more so. Like I always felt like most of these players, when they were fighting, they were all right up in in, in each other's face. Like there wasn't no like repeat or relief or whatever though. Like they're always gun holing in front of each other though and whatnot though. Especially that tactic cooler. I mean that tactic cooler makes you move so much faster. I don't know if it actually intensifies your um your actions as well. Like makes your squid roll or squid surge um a little faster or what or a little stronger or whatever though but i don't know i i just love seeing all this high competitive level stuff i actually saw some um some pretty good stats um from or at least some kind of crazy combinations in terms of like what you can basically do uh with some of the uh the different layouts of specials because like for example um when you place that tactic cooler up literally no one can actually shoot through the while the tactic cooler cannot be broken no one can actually shoot through it as well. So you can actually use that. It's kind of like a little mini shield. And I've seen people kind of sticking that up on like the, the top of the tower on tower control. And I was like, oh, I was like, okay, all right. So people kind of already kind of coming up with some stats or whatever, though. And these people, you know, like this is like their first like good chunk. I mean, probably they all played Splatfest or whatever, though. But outside of that, I mean, they're, they're going into this game wrong, whatever, though. And just seeing some like some good strategies right out the gate. I'm like, my goodness, though. Now, the one critical thing with both of these um, two modes, or the, the two modes that actually managed to get changes up in this mess, were pretty critical. One being Clan Blitz, and the other one being Rainmaker. I'm going to try to go ahead and skip over to one of those scenes that actually had some of that footage up in there, though. That one was a little bit of tower control. Skip past that one real quick, though. But um, Rainmaker right here. Rainmaker was a little bit different because I noticed this. I pointed this out whenever we, uh, whenever I first saw the, uh, what was it? The Splatoon 3 Direct. I saw that there was checkpoints in Rainmaker, kind of similar to the checkpoints you normally do in Tower Control. And I was like, oh shoot, that is going to be crazy in of itself though. And the way how it kind of works out is Sometimes you'll have one checkpoint, or sometimes you might have two checkpoints, depending on the type of map it is, though. And however, with the checkpoints, you cannot move the Rainmaker beyond that point. Like, you can't move it any further moving up that map. So basically, you can imagine, like, there being, like, an invisible wall. I'm not sure if they will actually pop you or if it just physically won't let you move any further. I didn't see anybody within the competitive, um, in the competitive scene right here actually managed to go out and uh try to push that rainmaker too far though but it looks like you have like a couple of different options of where you can sink that rainmaker so there is a little bit of strategy because you got to guard like two different locations because you don't know where they might actually land the rainmaker at because it just kind of depends on i guess given the situation and where they're at in the placement on the map or which one's available and whatnot though like you literally got to be uh you got to be keep your head on a swivel though because they can land it on like one or two different checkpoints or whatnot though and then once it you know you land it on checkpoint you have to pop the whole thing again and then pick it up and then move it on to the final destination across the way though so yeah so that right there is going to actually slow things down a little bit for rainmaker so that way nobody can just like go through and do like a clean swipe or queen that yeah, clean sweep on you while yes it is kind of uh bad i guess if you happen to be the one that happens to get the sweep or whatever though but hey instead of receiving it which mm, a lot of y'all might possibly have before you can actually go through and um 
stand a little bit more of a chance, though, and especially, I think, in terms of, like, overtime, it's even more so critical to make sure you have that first checkpoint clear, because if you don't have that first checkpoint clear, then you have to turn around and uh, put it there, turn around, repop it, and then pick it up again. So if it, if out of anything, if you want to go into overtime, it is almost dire that you have to clear that first checkpoint because it's going to be incredibly difficult in terms of your movement options and whatnot, though. If you have to land that thing, pop the bubble, and then pick it up again because you know how it is, pick it up a Rainmaker. If you got like a whole bunch of stuff like a heavy splat and a sniper or whatever all pointed um, with... <laughs> all pointed with their lasers up on that little tower or whatever, though. So, yeah, so honestly, that, I mean, that change in itself, though, is going to be really interesting in terms of kind of figuring out exactly how you're going to move around the map, how you're going to strategize, when you want to take the checkpoint, and then when you want to make that final surge, especially when you have to guard, like, two different checkpoints because they can touch it down on um, one of each other or one of the two different locations. The other big thing I noticed with this Rainmaker, which is probably the last thing I can say what Rainmaker is, with, normally you move at a certain speed where you're swimming or running obviously they kind of nerf the speed down a little bit while you're holding the rainmaker because you know how devastating um that weapon is in, in general though but if you happen to be right next to someone that happens to pop a tactic cooler out i noticed from people they were walk walk speed as well as swim speed was like drastically higher to the point where it's like normally you're moving around at the speed that you don't normally hold um, a rainmaker, which is actually kind of crazy in itself. I was like, what in the actual world? So I don't know. That might be like a pro little stat right there, at least in the competitive scene, where it might just be helpful overall just to have somebody always having a tactic cooler on your team, especially with rainmaker. It can like, you know, increase the different movement options and stuff like that you might have on your team or whatnot, though. I, I like how I'm trying to sound like an expert already on all of this stuff. When I just saw like a few matches off of here from PAX West or whatever. I'm just seeing the insane potential with everything they actually showcased off so far within just like these few rounds right here. We had some heated matches on um like that literally that first match of the semifinals. It came down to like you know first one to three wins. Um you know takes the win and moves on in the tournament whatever. Though. It came down to a final game five. Like that's how heated it was. But my goodness though. But yeah, so Rainmaker seems to be a lot of fun right there. And I think this one has a lot of potential up in it, though. Now, the last one, the last mode I didn't get to talk about is um, Clan Blitz. Because with Clan Blitz, the rules are a little bit different. Because while, yes, it still takes 100 points to clear it, though, technically, to make a Power Clam, it only takes eight clams. Eight clams, and that basically does it right there, though. Eight clams will basically do it right there. And instead of the clans spawning within like a like a like a little group of four, they now get decreased down to a group of three. What I also noticed from some other footage and stuff from some previous reports that you can literally jump a power clan back to your base and it won't get busted as well. So a combination that only takes eight to make a clan. There's only going to be popping up in squads of three um, for the clans to actually um, appear up, and you can super jump back to your base along with it that's some drastic changes that they did with um with clan blitz in itself though now one thing i we noticed that was actually brand new that i didn't even know about this until they pointed out during the actual um the gameplay was the fact that when people pick up clams when you look up at the very top 
they actually will tell you how many clams each person is have uh, is holding at any given time. So if you see like a sniper and it says, oh, they got like seven clams right there, they're almost about to form a power clam, right? So it might be wise to actually go through and actually target that person and uh, try to get that, you know, get that person out of the way or whatever, though, because they're about to form a power clam or whatever, though. Of course, people are always going to probably be juggling clams and whatnot, though, trying to keep people, you know, on their, um, keep their heads on the swivel or whatever, though. But I just like the improvements that they just did with that alone right there. I mean, yes, that's going to have like a whole lot of potential and stuff like that, though. But outside of that, it's pretty much your same, you know, typical clan blitz, though. But I think through the, the improvements of seeing how many clans somebody has, the, the decrease from 10 clans to make a power claim down to eight, and you can super jump basically anywhere now and never have the clam actually break because in Splatoon 2, your base had like that force field or whatever. No, nobody can crack it. But when you jump back to base in this game, you just in like the exposed um under or exposed area that's lower than your actual spawn shoot-off point. I don't know what the technical term is for that is gonna be though. But it's technically lower than that where you're Technically, where you're landing, you still actually are exposed. Hence, I think that's why the, the power claim will actually not break when you jump back to base, though. So, considering all of that mess, though, I mean, shoot, this, this has a lot of potential, though. I will give my, um, shoot, I will tap my hat off to both of these two teams that played in that first set within Clan Bliss. They went into overtime. And you know how it is in overtime when you got, get in overtime in Clan Bliss and no one has scored a power claim. You keep playing this game until the first person scores that power claim, and that's going to determine the winner or whatever, though. That's essentially what happened with this one, though. It came down to the wire, like, whole freaking shoot. But, yeah, so I think, honestly, outside of that, I mean, saw some pretty good plays and stuff with specials or whatever, though. That's, like, the most noteworthy things I saw on there, though. One thing you have to keep in mind is I think the big bubbler is going to be, like, a like shoot. That's going to be, like, a broken stat up on this thing in terms of tower control. You can literally place that big bubbler up on uh, the tower control, and hence, you know, no one's going to be able to actually shoot you off of that thing. Um, unless they're actually going to walk up to you, but no one in the right mind is going to actually allow you to walk up to you and actually, um, you know, try to take you out from the bubbler because you can't shoot through it, but you could walk through um, the force field and whatnot, though. But yeah, outside of that, that's pretty much all I wanted to go through and discuss within the stuff that I actually saw within some of that Splatoon footage um, right there, though. So yeah, so that's basically going to do it in terms of my overall thoughts on the Splatfest, as well as our first look at some rank modes uh, within Splatoon 3, though. So uh, that's basically going to do it in terms of all the gaming news. So now let's go ahead and switch it over to, so about that show. All right, so... Lately, I think outside of me talking about She-Hulk, which, you know, I went through and actually went through and gave my midway review of that show and whatnot, though, I don't feel like I was watching too many other brand new stuff. I mean, I'm still on my anime fix with Yu Yu Hakusho. I feel like that's been kind of dominating most of the stuff I've been watching because it's like there's not like a single moment where I was like, I mean, yes, there were like a few moments where I watched some of the other um, anime that's actually airing right at this moment, though. But outside of that, I've been mostly watching that show, which 
honestly, I'm getting very close to the very end. Like, I think I had literally less than five episodes left for that series, and I'm going to be done with it. And I'm going to be like, dang, it's, it's going to be hard to see that show go, though. But I'm like, man, if you like shonen animes and you kind of like, you know, retro, kind of, not retro, old school style animes that's kind of similar, aka to like Dragon Ball, because it does have a lot of Dragon Ball and like early Hunter Hunter vibes and whatnot, though. I highly recommend it because I feel like there's people that like this series, though, but I don't know how I didn't even hear about this series at all up until this point, though. But it is freaking incredible if i do say so myself and that's one i highly 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 recommend right here though but i'm trying to think outside of that they hadn't watched really too much other stuff i mean yes we did have like the start of like college football and whatnot though i was rep my um my razorback team that they managed to win by a touchdown and whatnot though i watched that on saturday though i did notice that um Technically, I think Saturday was the um, the first ever National Cinema Day. So technically on that Saturday, and I hate how it was on College Football Day, though, where you could actually roll in into um, any of your cinemas and you actually were able to watch any movie for $3. If you happen to miss out, you just missed out or whatever, though. But, um, but yeah, that was really good. I was very tempted to go and watch the new Dragon Ball Super uh, superhero movie. But um, my, my brother came in town or whatever, though. I was hanging out with him and whatnot, though. So I, I didn't actually manage to kind of make it out to the movie theaters or whatever, though. But that would have been a good, pretty good steal, or basically any movie, for three stinking dollars. I mean, you, you can't beat that, though. But if you happen to be one of those people that happen to um, watch a movie for three dollars, uh, let me know down in the comments or whatever, though, because I'm, I'm curious to see exactly uh, what all that you managed to go through and watch, though. But I mean, outside of that, I think that's pretty much it. In terms of most of the stuff I've been watching, I feel like I probably, once I'm done with Yu Yu Hakusho, I might start picking up and start watching a few other things. I know Disney Plus is going to drop out some um, decent stuff because I think we're really close to D23, Disney D23, where they kind of reveal more shows and stuff like that kind of coming out here in the foreseeable future and whatnot, though. So I think they got a few announcements on that. So um, I, I'm thinking, you know, once I'm done with this series, I think I'm going to start picking up and start going through and start watching a, a few other shows and stuff like that, though. But yeah, so that's basically going to do it in terms of that, though. So now let's go ahead and move over to our final topic, that being uh, what you've been playing. All right, now here lately, for the most part, it's been kind of a, I've been kind of in the middle between two major things, because I know I came right off the hills of Zoom Lake Chronicles 3. I did manage to fully go through and beat that game. Uh, I think I beat it about, I want to say now it's like almost a couple or a few weeks ago, whatever, though. I did manage to sit down with my good friend Sonic U and um, Mario and record out my whole Xenoblade Chronicles 3 spoilery discussion. It got very close to three hours long. But yeah, I managed to do that. That's out on the channel if you want to check that out. This managed to split it up into like chapters or slash by the timestamp. So you can jump in, jump out, go to the different segment you want to hear us talk about, especially that chapter five, because I know that was like, ooh, that was spicy. Ooh, excuse me. That was a spicy chapter five right there, if I do say so myself, though. But yeah, I did come right off the heels of that. So I'm basically doing a little bit of the post-game stuff with that game. Uh, lately, I've been playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga Collection. I managed to go through and play Turtles in Time for the first time ever, which was also a was a really good game 
if I do say so myself, I can see why a lot of people like Turtles in Time and where um, Shredder's Revenge got a lot of its inspiration from Turtles in Time. I also went through and played the um, the original arcade game as well. And I do like the fact that you're able to play that with basically any controller you can hook up in there, though. So I've been using my arcade fight stick with my arcade games. And then I've been using like the NES uh, online or uh, the NES controller to play like the NES games, like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, which honestly, that game is very difficult. Like if you play that damn level, oh goodness, shoot, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when I said that damn level, I meant that, that water damn level. Huh, I, ain't, I ain't saying bad words up on here though. I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real for all of those that might've flipped out during that moment though. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That water damn level right there. All right. All right. We're on the same play page. Okay. Just making sure though. But yeah, so um, so honestly, that I mean that game in itself is honestly really um, it's very challenging, and I do like the fact that you do get the rewind feature as well up in that thing though. So I'm like, oh okay, so that's that's really cool because some of those games are actually very, and I do mean very difficult in terms of its platform and stuff not very forgiving though but i do like the fact that they made um improvements to some of the games like they took out the sprite flickering and slow down on the nes ones and they got different things like you, you can have like a god mode or whatever though depending on the different games depends on the certain kind of improvements or slash hacks if you want to say that like that god mode or whatever though uh, in terms of you running through the certain games, though. But, yeah, so I like how you can use that. I can also use, like, the SNES controller to play, like, some of the Super Nintendo games and whatnot, though. And I actually ordered a Genesis um, controller as well because I do wanted to play um, Hyperstone Heist with the Genesis controller. But I was like, you know what? Might as well have a Genesis controller so that way I can play all of the, the, Gen the Genesis games in the, uh, the Switch expansion pack with a controller, though. Although I was looking at it and I was... You know, like for us, it was sold out on the Nintendo store, but here in America, we only have like the three button controller. But I know over there across the seas in like Japan, they had the six button one, even though our three button controller is technically bigger and their six button one smaller. I was like, dang, I was like only having three buttons. If you compare that to like the Super Nintendo controller, which both of them were 16 bit systems. I mean, looking at genesis it'll have been like you have an equivalent of an a b and x button but you don't have your y button you don't have your l button you don't have your r button but when you have the six button controller you basically have all those buttons put back up on there though so i actually bought that thing off of ebay have it imported it should show up i think probably by thursday or something like that which people in japan with their shipping they do not play they do not play like they, they send that mess to you pretty quick though i do like that though but yeah, so honestly, yeah, so honestly, that Cowbunga collection is pretty cool and stuff. I do like the, all the extra stuff they have, like they showcase all, all the different box arts and stuff from the game. Um, you can actually see the different manuals and stuff like that. Like I think a lot of love and care went up into this game, even though it's a uh, a game licensed through Konami or whatever. Though they probably got like a different studio or whatever to kind of make it because Konami themselves don't make games a whole bunch. Oh, shoot, and that's a whole topic for another day though. But Honestly, I'm actually having quite a bit of fun with that game and whatnot, though. And then I think the last thing, game I was playing was uh, was Kingdom Hearts 3. And I did actually manage to beat the Frozen Worlds, I think, up next. I think I had to make another trip to Twilight Town. But then after that, I, I needed to jump over to the, uh, the Monsters, Inc. world. That's where I'm roughly at right there. I do know, I think, whenever I do get to the Pirates of the Caribbean world, 
I probably will actually stream that one on Twitch, which could show up later on my YouTube channel as like a game stream premiere at some later point or whatever. Though that's just at least what I'm thinking in the back of my mind right now. Though, but yeah, that's probably where I've been playing the Cowbunga Collection, wrapping up Xenoblade Chronicles Three, and then a little bit of Kingdom Hearts Three because I do know when Splatoon Three finally drops this Friday, September 9th, it's gonna be a done deal. I'm going to probably be on that game at least for a solid month, if not two months, and not really going around and playing too much any other games. I mean, maybe if I just got tired or something like that, maybe I'll jump in and, you know, play a little bit of something else, though. But hopefully I'll finish the, the rest of my Xenoblade Chronicles 3 post-game um, post stuff before Splatoon 3 actually drops. Once that game drops, that's going to be it, though. I did manage to actually pick up the uh, Splatoon 3 limited edition, um, uh, Switch or special edition, whatever you want to call it, Switch OLED version one, which that one looks really nice because I was kind of waiting, kind of to seeing if I wanted to kind of get an OLED or whatever, though. But since they showed that off, that mess looks really cool. Had that sitting up in the collection, whatnot, though. So, yeah, I kind of like the way how the OLED looks. It looks pretty good and pretty impressive, though. But, yeah, for the most part, that's basically it in terms of what I've been going through and playing. And that is basically going to do it in terms of all the topics that I have to share with y'all tonight, though. So, yeah, quite a bit of stuff that's been happening, though. I'm hugely ecstatic coming right off that PAX um, West, um, the PAX West enter into the Splatlands Invitational Tournament. I am just hyped out the roof for that game. For the first time, we got to look at those rank modes, and I think that just invigorated me because I am just all for this game now. I can't wait to have it up in my hands, though. It's going to be hard to kind of pry it off my hands, um, you know, when you got to put the game down and do, you know, other things in life or whatever, though. But, I mean, I, I've been waiting for this game so long. The fact that it's only literally Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like four days away um, from the time that I'm recording this thing. Shoot. I'm like, golly. I'm just like, come on. Just give it in my hands. Like, I just want this sucker now. I'm literally over here looking at my, my phone app or whatever, though. I'm looking because I, I, I got a pre-order through Walmart and trying to ship it here to my house. And I was like. I'm like, bro, I was like, come on, just show them in the mail just like one day early, two days early at least. Like, come on, give me something to work with so that way I can kind of knock the story mode out of the way so that way I can throw all my time into the uh, time. Because literally, we, we got to juggle the online battles. We got to juggle the uh, the single player mode and we got to juggle the, the salmon run. And then technically, you could also put a little time in the card game as well as trying to build up your stack gears and whatnot, though, trying to level up, unlock all the different weapons and stuff like that, though, customize, locker, all. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff we're going to be able to do right at the launch of this game. We just got to have to put the time up in there, though. But I think that's going to basically do it for my big Zarcast episode 40. So if you really like this episode, make sure to go ahead and hit that like button, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and that bell. Stay up to date on all things video game related that I feel like talking about and discussing for the foreseeable future. If you happen to be one of my viewers that happen to be listening to this on one of my podcast servers, whether that be Google, Apple, Spotify, or even Amazon Music, uh, make sure to go ahead and hit the like button there. Go ahead and share that podcast around. Give a review if it allows you to uh, submit a review. And just let us know, um, just let people know that, you know, I'm just a dude just like to talk about video games and whatnot, though, and just, you know, other pop culture stuff, whatever kind of suits me, whatever here, though. And I do know, at least with the plan with Splatoon 3, I do got some major plans for that game in terms of release. Like, obviously, I'll do, like, my my traditional YouTube stream launch thing on, on the channel, whatever, though. 
but whenever that has you know come and gone um i think i'm going to consistently try to do something on twitch maybe on wednesdays um playing with my good friend bronto because i know me and him are going to be going hard at this game like like hard non-stop so I'm thinking I might have actual some legit consistency um, with this game on Twitch, though. But yeah, so you can find all the links to all my socials and stuff down in that description box down below, though. But that's basically going to do it for this episode, though. So remember, y'all, until whatever video I make next, until my Zarkas episode 41, I'll see y'all later.